So, how was your Thanksgiving? Huh? Let me tell you, uh, today, uh, the, the theme of our song today is difference. Not like being different, necessarily. We've talked about that the last couple of weeks, of what it means to be different through the Beatitudes. But today, we're going to talk about making a difference. Okay? For me, what makes the difference at Thanksgiving is the gravy. And that's not funny. Gravy is serious business for me. Amen, Amen right? So, uh, John asked me this morning, which, we, of course, we have two Thanksgiving dinners, one with Amanda's family, one with my family. Well, I grew up on my mom's gravy. I didn't really grow much, but I grew up eating it age-wise. So, John asked me which meal I, I like the best, and I said, well, I said, they're both very good. But I prefer my mom's gravy. So that's the difference maker. Think about for a minute, and, and again, don't get all spiritual on me completely unless you just want to, but what has made the biggest difference in your life? What has affected your life more than anything else? I mean, again, the easy answer I hope is that Jesus has, that He's changed you. But some of us grew up knowing Him, so we don't really know how different we are because of Him. But was it a move? Was it a job loss? Was it a disease? Was it an accident? Was it a new car? Was it your hair falling out? I don't know. You know, it could be a lot of things. But there are things that happen to us, things that happen around us, that make a difference, change things. And today what we want to look at is what does it mean to make a difference? What does it mean to change things. And if you would stand, we're going to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. So it's a short passage, but it is very dense, very, very um, full. And again, I would want to reiterate and I would want to ask you to think about what difference does it make that we know that these are the very words of God. As we read, stand in awe, listen, take in, think about what we're about to read publicly. There's power in the public reading of the Scripture. Not in my voice, but in the words of God. So here we go. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, it is incredible that you would want to speak to us that you would want to reveal yourself to us, that light of the world, you would shine upon us. Help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to comprehend and see and take in wonderful things from your word today. Save sinners, correct saints who are wayward, and build us up so that we might be more like Jesus as a result of this. We ask in his name. Amen. You may be seated.
What a wonderful passage it would be to memorize here, by the way. Um, that's a challenge. If anyone would want to take that up. So we're going to work through it verse by verse, all four verses of it. And we're going to start in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So we've looked at the Beatitudes the last couple of weeks. And what we saw in, in the Beatitudes was Jesus introducing the characteristics of the citizens of His on earth, already but not yet heavenly kingdom. And we said that the pronouncements that He made were surely different than the Jews were looking for. The poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, and those who are reviled and spoken evil against falsely on account of Jesus. These are the citizens of the kingdom who are truly blessed, who are truly happy to be envied, to be congratulated, pronounced by God to be blessed, to be happy. And you can almost see the confused looks on the members of the crowd. Uh, what, what? You know, Jesus teaching His disciples about what they've signed up for. And it's pretty much the exact opposite of what the nation of Israel was looking for. And you have to wonder what the disciples were thinking too. Not just the crowds, not just Israel, but the disciples. I mean, they had said that Jesus was the Messiah. So they've got to be thinking, okay, the Messiah, He's going to establish God's kingdom on the earth. And He's saying that His kingdom is made up of poor, mourning, persecuted people. And that's us? Is this what we get? And I think Jesus would have just replied if they'd asked Him, yes. Yes, this is what you get. But He's not done yet. Matter of fact, in this Sermon on the Mount, He's barely getting started. But now keep in mind that Jesus is speaking to His disciples. The crowds are there and the crowds hear Him, but He's teaching His disciples. He's pointing out what they look like, what characteristics mark those in His kingdom. And then as we move into today's, into today's message, we're moving from what might be considered the passive characteristics pronounced by God, you are blessed because you are these things in the Beatitudes. We're moving from that to the active markers of those who are citizens. So we've seen what they are. Now we're about to see what they do. So in the progression in verses 3 through 12, Jesus moved from using the characteristics to describe the disciples, poor in spirit, mourning and such, to actually saying, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Do you see all the you's there? He moved from descriptors to pointedly saying you. So blessed are the poor in spirit. There's no you there. But when he gets to the end of those, he's pointing to them and saying, these things are you guys. Okay? He moved from descriptors to pointedly saying you. And in our passage today, the first word is you. And again, I can't overemphasize the importance that Jesus is speaking, and, speaking to and teaching His disciples. They are the you here. And by association, so are we. 
Because we are Jesus' disciples. And the you in this sentence is emphatic. It means only you. You alone. And what does he say about them to them? You, you alone, only you, are the salt of the earth. Now what's that mean? Well, it means a lot. Okay? Let's talk about salt a little bit. Salt has had a multitude of uses throughout history. Of course, obviously the most basic thing we use it for is what? We use it to season our food, right? And I've seen some of you in the lunch area and you really like salt. I've watched you. I'm like, they're going to get a cramp in their forearm from pouring so much salt. Salt, salt, salt. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I keep seeing this thing in our kitchen at home called unsalted butter. I'm like, what? What's the use? And people are like, well, you bake with it. I'm like, no, no. There's no sense in having something called unsalted butter. I mean, what good is it? What, what's the use, huh? Yeah, right. I mean, great day. You ever eat eggs without salt? Don't do it. Don't do it. It's yucky, y'all. <coughs> This is biblical, actually. Job said this. Look at this. Can food that is tasteless be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? Amen. See? I mean, it's biblical to salt your eggs. Okay? You're welcome. Okay? <laughs> you just got to salt your eggs, okay? They've got to be assaulted and peppered, actually. Just don't batter them. So, there's a lot of uses for salt in our food preferences, okay? <clears throat> but what else do we do with salt? We, we melt ice off our sidewalks and our roads with it, don't we? So I wonder who figured that out. Slick out there, we'll go throw some salt on it. That should work. Like, hey, it does work. Who'd have known, right? And actually, anybody know why that works? It actually lowers the temperature that water freezes at when you put salt in it. I didn't know that until like this week. So the salt... Uh, the salt just makes it harder to freeze. And it actually doesn't work with just ice. You've got to have water. And usually there's a little thin film of water on top of the ice. So the salt acts with the water and it melts the ice. So there you go. You're welcome. What else will you salt for? Taste? Melting ice off? I'm getting there. Wait. I shouldn't ask you that question. Anybody ever gargle with salt water? Your mom or your grandma will go gargle with salt water. I'm like, but my knee's hurting. You know, what's that supposed to do? But when you've got a sore throat or you're congested or something, you've got drainage, gargle with salt. Science says that it works, by the way. The salt actually draws fluids from your throat that can be causing the irritation, and it also helps break up mucus that can be irritating in your gullet too. So that's science, y'all. And we could go on and on about uses of salt because there's a lot of them. And they used it even more in the first century than we, than we do now. They use it for a lot of stuff. In addition to what we've already talked about, they use salt for medicinal purposes, a lot of medicinal purposes. They actually would rub newborn babies down with salt. And that was to help in case there were any cuts or abrasions from the birthing process that would draw out infection. God references this in Ezekiel when he talks about finding Israel as a babe. He said, I found you in your blood. No one had rubbed you with salt. Which is what they, then they would wrap them in swaddling clothes. Every offering to God was to have salt with it. Look it up. It's in there. All offerings were to be seasoned with salt. They even used salt as currency. They would pay people with salt because it was so valuable and had so many uses. It's kind of like, you know, let's, let's bypass the funds and give me what I can use. <clears throat> That's where we get our saying, somebody's not worth their salt. 
You ever heard that? That's an older saying. Some of you youngins may not have heard that. But you have now. That feller ain't worth his salt. Okay, they would even pay people with it. So its uses, we're talking about salt, its uses were multiple and varied. But, most relevant to our text today, they used salt to preserve their food because they didn't have any refrigeration. The salt is a preservative that keeps the meat or other food items from spoiling. And what the salt does, it actually draws the water out of the bacteria, causing the bacteria to die. Again, science, y'all. So the food that was highly salted would stay edible for long periods of time. You would see them carrying fish around and chunks of meat. And what they'd done, they'd rubbed a bunch of salt into it and it had killed all the bacteria and would continue to kill the bacteria that would come into it because it would just dehydrate the bacteria which would kill it. So normally this food would be breeding grounds for bacteria. Now with the salt in it, it's clean. It's able to eat. Think beef jerky, right? Oh, I don't have my microphone here. There we go. That's better. (laughs) Now think about all this stuff with salt, especially with the preservative, in light of what Jesus is saying to his disciples. You, you only, you alone, are the salt of the earth. You only are the preservative that keeps the bacteria from breaking down, spoiling, ruining, ruining whatever medium you are in keeps the disease out far as the curse is found. And what is the medium that he's talking about? Go back there. You are the salt of the earth. You, you alone are the salt of the earth. Your presence in the world keeps the earth from spoiling, from ruining, from becoming full of death. Now take a minute to breathe that in after having just gone through the Beatitudes and saying that the citizens of the kingdom of heaven are poor in spirit, mourning and such, Jesus then says that those same citizens are the preservative salt that keeps this world, this earth, from spoiling and ruining. Hmm. You're truly happy if you're mourning, meek and persecuted, and in those states you preserve the earth that you are persecuted in. And that's a lot to think about. Without these poor, mourning, meek, peacemaking, hungry, thirsty, persecuted heavenly citizens, the earth would plunge into decay. You, you alone are the salt of the earth. You alone preserve the earth. And I love the placement here. It keeps the here and now as important as the future. And again, we live in an already but not yet kingdom. We are not to whine, mope, and complain about our mourning and our persecution, just pining for heaven. Rather, we have work to do. We have a job to do now. There is work that needs done here, and only they, only we, can do it. Jesus is pretty much rubbing His disciples into the meat of the world to make sure it doesn't break down, spoil, and ruin. And as he does it, he tells them that they play an irreplaceable role in his plan for the earth, for their current situation. And then look again at the statement that follows this one in the verse. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now don't you just hate it when you salt your food and you can't taste the salt? You're like, I'll just have to add some more. 
What if you added and added and added and added, but it didn't change the taste any? What if the salt wasn't salty? Can you, can you salt your unsalty salt to make it salty? It's pretty much a nonsensical statement. Salt cannot lose its taste. Scientifically, it can't happen. Salt is two elements. What are they? Anybody know? NaCl. Sodium chloride. Okay? When sodium and chloride join together, it's salt. When sodium and chloride get put together, you have salt. And when salt is salt, it's salty. Period. Now there are some who say that this statement shows that Jesus didn't have the scientific knowledge needed to make statements like this. Ha! Huh. <laughs> Jesus was and is God who made sodium and chloride. All the sodium, all the chloride, and He made it all with a word at the beginning of creation. He knew that salt could not lose its saltiness. So no, He's not talking out of ignorance here. So then what's going on? There's a couple of good possibilities. First, at this time they would get salt from the Dead Sea. It's full of salt. People float in it. It's so full of salt. And there were a lot of times when that salt that they gathered would have other things attached to it. It would look like salt, but the additional elements would actually leach the salt from it, making it a white, salt-looking substance that wasn't salt. And guess what? When you put that on your eggs, they still taste like nothing. Because it's not salt. All the salt, all the sodium and the chloride are, are leached out of it. And you know what that white, powdery stuff was good for? Absolutely nothing. And people would sell it like it was salt. If me, I'm going to do this, you know, that's not salt. But it was good for nothing, and they would throw it out on the path, and it would get trampled underfoot by men. So that's, that fits into our passage today pretty well. But another possibility in Jesus talking about salt losing its taste is to point out that there will be those who, like fake salt, will be false disciples. They look like salt. They come from places where salt should come from, but when they are tested, then they are really shown to be what they are, and they aren't really disciples. They are tasteless with no chance to have their saltiness restored. They are not true believers. They are not citizens of Jesus' kingdom. And they are not good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. While true disciples have use and purpose in preserving the earth with their wholesomeness and healing ways, these false disciples have no preserving or healing properties to help the world. As a matter of fact, they probably hurt the world. They're just decaying along with it. So whether it be fake salt or fake disciples, they are tasteless and powerless to do what needs done, which is in direct juxtaposition to the true disciples, the true citizens of the kingdom, who are the actual salt of the earth. The preservative applied to the earth by the Creator and King Himself. And here, these true disciples are declared to be just that and are given a purpose in the here and now. But Jesus isn't done yet. Matthew 5.14 You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So Jesus follows up the statement about salt and His disciples being the salt of the earth with another very direct and purposeful statement. Not a command, 
He does not say, you go be salt or you go be light. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You and you alone. Same emphatic word here. You and you alone, just like the salt, now you're also the light of the world. Salt had multiple uses, and we saw its preserving principles predominantly. But what about light? What does light do? Well, a lot. But basically, it's the basis for everything. At least most things. If you got no light, and I think I'm, I'm not talking about it being a little bit dark. I'm not. If you got no light, you got nothing. We see only things that reflect light. I'm just seeing your reflection as the light reflects off of you. Okay? Heat is generated by light. When God created everything at the beginning of all that we know, what did He say first? Let there be light. We can't even imagine life without light because we cannot live without light. We'd die. We'd freeze. I mean, we'd be ice cubes. If all the lights went out, like, like the sun and everything, we're dead. And here, Jesus says that His disciples, the citizens of His kingdom, they and they alone are the light of the world. Now again, breathe in the enormity of that statement. You alone are the light of the world. You alone drive out the darkness. Nobody else can, nobody else will. You alone can give what's necessary for life on earth. If you are not present, there is no other light. You're it. And Jesus goes further by saying, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You're the light of the world, and you're out in the open, no hiding, no chance of not being seen. You're like a city set on a hill, which just can't help but be seen. You ever drive out 64, you just got off the 77-64 split and it goes down and you come down, you're headed toward the, the East Beckley exit and you look over to the left and what do you see? You see the city. How do you see the city? By the lights. You look over to the left there and you're like, lights everywhere. There's the old town. And I see it because of the light. You... You alone are the light of the world, and I have set you out in the open so everyone who is anywhere, anywhere near you, even far from you, will see what's going on with and through you. You're like a city set on a hill. You cannot be hidden. It's impossible. And then he goes further with this analogy. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Just like a city on a hill can't be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and hide it under a basket. Say, no, I'm going to let it shine, right? Jesus here, like the statement about salt losing its saltiness, says it's ludicrous to think about someone lighting a lamp and putting it under a basket so that it can't be seen. People don't do that. It's not the point of the light. Rather, they put it on a stand, elevated, to make sure it gives light to all in the house. Now, this would be true of their houses because most of them were one room. Okay, So they light the lamp, usually this oil-holding thing that's got a spout out there, and they light it, and then they put it on a stand, and everybody in the house is affected by and can see the light. It gives light to all in the house. That's how light works. 
It isn't hidden, and it affects all who are in its range. So, Jesus says His disciples are light that is made to be shared, not hidden. And they are to be put in a place of prominence in the world to affect all who see that light. And why? Verse 16 tells us, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So now... Jesus turns from statements of what the disciples are, you are, you you alone are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, and now he tells them what to do in response. Here we have a command. A direct call for the disciples to do something. All leading up to this, even last week, was pointing out what the disciples were. And they were told to rejoice and be glad, so those are commands. But all of that was pointing out what the disciples were and now we see what they're supposed to do as a result of what they are. And what is the command? Just like a city set on a hill, just like a lamp on a stand, in the same way, let your light shine before others. As the light, let your lightness be seen by other people. Shine in the presence of others. Be what you are. Do what you do out in the open where everybody can see you. The command is to not let your light get hidden. Not to purposefully hide your light. Not to put your light under a basket so that it's out of sight. The command is to be visible with who and what you are as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. The king is commanding his disciples to be out front in the public eye on full display for all to see. Why? The purpose statement follows the command. Let your light shine before others so that... So that what? So that they may see your good works and say, man, that's a really nice guy. So that they may see your good works and compliment you. No? so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The purpose statements are so important in Scripture. When you see so that and because and those things, you need to pay attention. You are salt. You alone are salt. You alone are light. So as salt and light live your salty, light-y lives before others so that they the people who you are living amongst and in the presence of may, may see your good works and as salt and light, your life is translated into action in a way that is seen by everyone and that action is good works. Your good works are the salt and the light transferred into action and when these deeds are seen by others who see them, guess what happens? They give glory to your Father who is in heaven. They see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. That is the purpose. The citizens of the kingdom, the disciples of the king, live in such a way, do good deeds in a context of glorifying their Father in heaven. And be clear here, be certain, that the central purpose of the kingdom of heaven is to glorify God. The glory of God is the purpose of the kingdom. And thus, it is the purpose of the citizens of the kingdom. 
So, all that these salty and light-infused disciples do, they do empowered by the king and for the glory of the king. And I know I've said that a couple times really close together, but it's imperative that we understand this. These former enemies of God are born again and placed in the place of prominence in the world to show who He is and what He is capable of and what He's really like. They out there see God in and through you. They out there see God through us or they do not see Him. You alone are the salt of the earth. You alone are the light of the world. You alone can point to the Father and glorify Him. Creation does it, but it's not enough. All creation can do is condemn a man and make him know there's a God that they shake their fist at. Read Romans 1 and 2. That's all creation can do. Only you, only us, can properly glorify God and point Him out to a lost world. The truly happy, blessed disciples of Jesus do good works and show Him off as salt and light in the midst of their mourning and persecution and they can't be hidden. They can't not be seen. And they are gloriously visible. Don't let your deeds not be done. And don't let them be done in seclusion and separation from the world. Now later... Hopefully your mind's going forward a little bit and you're saying, doesn't Jesus say don't do your deeds before men? He does. But He says not to do your deeds in front of men so that they praise you. Don't do your good deeds to be seen by others and praised by them. And what He's saying here just complements that, completes it. He will say later, don't do good deeds. But that's not all He says. He says, don't do them to be seen and praised for them. Do them, Jesus says here, so that God will be glorified. Not for your praise, but for His. Yes, do good deeds. And do them so that God gets glory. Don't do them pointing to yourself. That is the point here. And in general, and in the Sermon on the Mount, and in the Bible overall. Listen to me, church. You, only you, you alone are the salt of the earth. You alone are the light of the world. Don't let that be hidden. Don't let that be misunderstood or misapplied. Do your good deeds so that others will see them and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's what Jesus is saying in this short passage today. And what a powerful and wonderful message it is. So now we get to apply it. Because that's the point, right? So we've got four application points this morning. We just, let the, uh, we just let the passage give us our application points. The first application point is you. The second is salt and light. The third is deeds. And the fourth one is glory. You, salt and light, deeds and glory. Remember, we're applying this. That's the point. So you... That's the first application point. How do we apply you? We saw earlier that the you's that are used in this passage were emphatic. That it literally meant you and only you. That's important to note. And I've said it several times. Now another thing worth noting about the word you used in this passage is that it is plural. It's not singular you 
But to use a good old-fashioned Appalachian word, it's y'all. Y'all are the salt of the earth. Ewanses are the light of the world. It's plural. Jesus isn't speaking to Peter and saying, Peter, you're the salt of the earth. Or to John and saying, John, you're the light of the world. He is speaking to all of the disciples and He is saying, you all are the salt of the earth. You all, and you all alone, are the light of the world. And His words echo into today to His people. The plural you, or all of us as His disciples. And not just here in this building. Jesus isn't just speaking to Providence Bible Church. That you, PBC, are the salt of the earth, NACL. (laughs) No. It's all of God's people who are living at the moment. All of God's people to the ends of the earth who are the salt of the earth, who are the light of the world, which is a call for God's people to know, love, understand, and cooperate with one another. This was probably the biggest drawing point for me to the Southern Baptist Convention is that they promote cooperation. It is essential for God's people to work together. Note the corporate nature of salt and light. Who wants a single grain of of salt? And whether you consider light to be a particle or a wave, it's both, by the way. One single particle, one single wave, no good. But you get a bunch of salt grains together, you get a bunch of particle, light particles and waves together, man, you, you can do something, right? It takes a lot of grains of salt, a lot of waves or particles of light to make a difference in the setting that they are applied to. You wouldn't even notice one grain of salt. But shake that shaker and see what happens when you get the desired amount of salt. And by the way, the salt does have to come out of the shaker. I'll talk about that in a minute. You ever seen one of them big 10,000 candle power spotlights? We sold them at advance. They burn up. Don't buy them, by the way. Like they, they last for a little bit. I mean, they will put your eyes out. You're like, ah! It's the corporate nature of the light. The corporate nature of the salt that make the desired outcome happen. Bush won. President George H.W. Bush had his campaign... He called it a thousand points of light. Anybody remember that? And what he was saying was, if everybody did their part, it makes everything brighter. And when we're working together, and everybody's doing their part together, we're even brighter. Do your part. Trust other people to do their part. Work with other people in doing their part. And things get a lot brighter. It takes each of us doing our part, and each of us being part of the whole. That's how the church works. Listen to me. Here's the application. We have to know, love, and serve with our brothers and sisters in Christ. As a matter of fact, cooperation and loving your brother and sister in Christ is an identifying aspect of what it means to be a Christian. Jesus says in John 13, 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now if you just love the people in this building, that's alright. 
it's not all right. It's good to have the love for these people, but if you don't love the rest of the church out there, and not just in America, but all over the world, you're missing the point. Plural you. You all. You all alone. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. If you don't love the church, you're probably not a Christian. All the church. We've got doctrinal differences and there are false disciples out there. We've talked about that. But if you don't love the church and have a desire to work cooperatively with the church in the world to the ends of the earth until the end of time, you better check your spiritual pulse if dead people can do that. We cannot be alone in our work or in our walk as individuals or as churches. We have to love and cooperate with others. Why? Because we want to make a difference. Which is our next point. Salt and light. So we had you. Second point is salt and light. Jesus' use of the metaphors of salt and light point to one major theme. Making a difference. Both salt and light make a difference in their respective places. And they both are in opposition to the surroundings around them. They make a definite, clear difference while pushing back against whatever place or substance they're placed in. Salt kills the bacteria in the meat. Light vanquishes the darkness. And that's how God designed them to work. And salt, which can't not be salt, does what it does naturally. It ain't like the salt goes in there and cracks its knuckles. All right, let's see if we can do this bacteria here. See if we can do this. No, it just does it. Sucks the water out of the bacteria and the bacteria die. It's not a matter of if it can. It's going to do it. Light, without doubt or question, makes darkness dissipate. The darkness doesn't hang around and say, I ain't getting rid of me. When the light comes on, the darkness is gone. There's not a fight or debate. It happens. We sang this morning in the song that is now called We Do... But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. When we live, listen to me, when we live according to the principles and commands of the kingdom of heaven, we will make a difference in the world around us. We talked last week in the Beatitudes of how we are to live differently. Well, here in our passage today, we see the difference that that different living makes. And think about the effect of salt and light. Salt stings as it purifies. You ever get salt in your cuts on your hands or rub your eyes and get salt in it? It stings. What about when you're like half asleep and somebody flips the light on? Everybody just jerked because they could feel it. They're like, oh. my, my wife is very gracious. She's like, I'm about to turn the light on. So I'm like, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> and then I gradually do this, you know, to kind of... So that I'm like... Thank you for that. It's one of the many ways that you love me well. Keep doing that, is what I'm saying. All y'all do that. All y'all do that. That's right. You, you alone can do that. Light can definitely make you squint or even turn your head, right? You get quite a reaction from salt and light, don't you? 
And I think it's awesome that Jesus says this right after saying His people will be persecuted and reviled. The world will surely react violently and try to resist the salt as it is applied. The darkness will be directly affected by the light, and so it should be. We are to make a difference in the world that we live in. And the fear of reaction should not hinder us or slow us down so that we don't push against what's going on around us. We call sin, sin. We say that Jesus is the only way to God. And the world shakes its fist at us as the bacteria is drained of its water and as the darkness dissipates. Listen, Paul made it clear, evil men will go from bad to worse. We're not hoping to usher in the kingdom as we live perfectly here on the earth. But I promise you, as you are salty and as you are light out there, it's going to bring some persecution and we're going to keep on doing it. And you will make a difference. That's the way God designed it. We are to live righteously in the midst of the world and let our works accomplish their intended outcomes. We are to preserve and illuminate all around us. Let me read this passage out of Ephesians 5. There's so much here, I'm going to pick one little thing out of it though. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now again, that's a, there's a whole lot of stuff we could pull out of there, but I just want to look at verse 11 again. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. It's one thing to turn your head away from evil. It's another thing to call it evil. And that's what salt and light do. And he goes on with his analogy and says when it's exposed, what did the exposing? The light did the exposing. And let me tell you what, sinners don't like to be called sinners. And we don't do it out of hate, we do it out of love. Because the king is coming back. And he's going to judge forever those who are not in his kingdom. Because they're His enemies. And if we don't tell them that, and if you don't sound hateful sometimes, I'm not saying be a jerk, but I'm saying if you don't sound hateful and say, I can't compromise here, I can't give you a pass or an out because I like you, but the King is coming and He's going to judge you because you are a sinner. How hateful of you to call me a sinner. I'm one too. And we all need saving. And I've got to tell you that. Because I am the salt of the earth. I'm the light of the world. Oh, you're the light of the world. Yeah, that's what Jesus said. You think you're so much better than me. No, no, I don't. But I do have to call evil, evil. And I do have to expose the evil deeds that are choking your life away. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. We expose the unfruitful works of darkness. We make a difference. And that's what salt and light do. We live in such a way that our deeds are righteous and expose the unrighteousness around us. It is the very nature of our supernatural calling in the world. Which leads us to the next point. We have to do these things. We have to do deeds. You, salt and light, deeds. Jesus is not talking about something that's hypothetical or just intellectual. 
This is about doing things. Jesus is not talking about adhering to a set of religious or philosophical teachings. He's talking about doing good deeds so that people will see them out in the open in our everyday lives. We are to live in such a way that we are doing things that can clearly be seen. The difference we make is to be through what we do. At the end of this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to say, the wise man is the one who heard these words of mine and did them. The foolish man is the one who heard them and didn't do them. We are to live in such a way that we're doing things that can clearly be seen. When tragedy or disaster strike, the world is looking for the church, the collective cooperating body of Christ, to apply the salt to the wounds, to bring the light into the darkness. And they will not see it if we are not doing anything. Be careful though. Don mentioned the social justice warriors earlier. There's also a big push now from those looking to curb gun violence. And this is what they're saying. They're like, stop sending me your thoughts and prayers and do something. And I think they need to be careful what they ask for. They don't know the difference that our prayers make. And prayer is something that you can do. But I get their sentiment. They're saying your passive condolences aren't helping stop the problem. They're asking people to do something. And listen, we're not going to change the world through legislation. We're going to change the world with the gospel. Preached, taught, lived out in everyday good deeds. And Jesus in our passage today is telling us, actually He's commanding us to do not just something, but some things. He says plainly, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. There's plural again, right? And remember, we said that was the command in all this. Don't let your light get hidden so that it can't be seen. Do something so people can see what you're doing. Paul says it to the Philippians this way, and this is convicting. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. All is a big word, by the way. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. When what? When you do what you do and you're not whining and moping and complaining and you do it well and you love people and you serve people and you preach the gospel with your life and with your words, then you shine as lights in the world. Because you are, you alone are, y'all alone are the light of the world. Here Paul is saying, do what you do and do all of it without grumbling or disputing so people can see the difference you're making. When they see us doing what we do in the way that we do it, we shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So it's not even just what you do. It's even how you do it that matters. Which leads us to our last point, which is why we do what we do in the way that we do it. You, salt and light deeds, final glory. Christian, you are alive. You were born again for the sole purpose of glorifying 
God. He made you the salt of the earth. He made you the light of the world. And what did we sing this morning? Multiple times. Light of the world, shine upon us. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Who's the light of the world? And who's the light of the world? Christ is the light of the world and you all, we all, are the light. Why? Because we reflect His light. It's His glory that shines through us to bring glory to Himself. You are the light of the world, Jesus. And He says, so are you. Sarah Gross has a song called You Are the Sun and I Am the Moon. I just reflect the sun's light. I got no light on my own. And when I shine, and when I shine bright, and when I do what I do, and my salt and my light without grumbling or disputing, and I'm exposing deeds of darkness, who gets the glory? Jesus gets the glory. And that's the purpose. And note the scope of this glory. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And we are to impact the ends of the earth until the end of time with what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what glorifies God. Your deeds done in the power of, to the glory of God. Your gospel preaching anointed by the Spirit of God to the glory of God. That's the light of the world. Because it's Him. It's not you. Paul said, I labored more than all of them. Yet It was not I, but it was Christ who worked in and through me. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, you're the light of the world because I'm in you. And as I shine through you, as I shine upon you, I get glory. And that's the point. But you know what? It's not just the earth. Check this out and then we'll be done. Paul says this in Ephesians 3. This is magnificent. To me... Though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So this is not just glory on the earth. This is not just glory in the world. This is glory amongst the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And He's doing it through the church. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now let's finish this by looking at it this way. Jesus holds up these poor, mourning, meek, persecuted saints of His... And He shines His light through them and the world is affected and people take notice and they glorify God. And when it's all said and done, God holds up this trophy of the church. And even the rulers and authorities and principalities and heavenly places cover their mouths and they say that God is glorious. Not just on the earth but in the heavens and the highest of heavens, as far as the curse is found. You alone are the salt of the earth. You alone are the light of the world. You all alone can show the manifold wisdom of God. 
to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. And He gets the glory for it. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You alone. You only. You all only. Are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Go do something to the glory of God. Make a difference in your world. That's what Jesus is saying in our passage today. Let's pray. God, I would say simply that you are very brave in choosing us to work through. You're very strong. You're very great because I can't. I won't. I am self-preserving. I am self-enlightening, self-protecting, self-glorifying. But you come in and you change me. You change the very properties of who I am and what I am. And you pronounce me to be blessed. You pronounce me to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You pronounce us and us alone to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And you make your glory seen and shown in us and through us for your sake. God, I pray that we would be difference makers in our world. And when we do our righteous deeds to make you look beautiful, to make you seen as beautiful, God, we're going to make a difference. And I pray that we would make a difference to the ends of the earth until the end of time. And we're going to do it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, we want to feed people, but we want to feed them so that we can share the gospel with them. Yes, we want to clothe people, but we want to clothe people so that we might clothe them with the preparation of the gospel of peace. God, we don't want to cover somebody's nakedness and send them to hell. Help us to be difference makers as we live out and proclaim your gospel for the good of those who hear, for the good of those who proclaim, and ultimately for your glory. And we have to have you do it, God. So we ask you to. Help us to cooperate Help us to be empowered by your Spirit so that you get glory in and through us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll just stand and receive this benediction. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And all God's people said... Amen. Stay neat with us if you can.